Welcome to Last Call, powered by Speakeasy. I'm your host, Jamie and Christian, and today we are joined by Reggie Morris Jr. Reggie is the current director for Team Why Not Basketball and the head coach at Fairfax High School in Los Angeles, California. A multiple state championship head coach, Reggie has coached first-round draft picks Russell Westbrook and Darrell Wright and has massed over 300 victories as a high school coach. Welcome to Last Call with Jamie and Christian. My guest today, Reggie Morris. Reggie, welcome to Last Call. How you doing, Jamie? Good to see you. I'm doing great, doing great. Now, it's obviously an exciting time in grassroots basketball. And, you know, our audience, you know, I've had a chance to get to know you since I was 18 years old. So I know you know you really well, but our audience maybe don't know you as well as I do. So I want to make sure we take the time to walk through this journey of you being able to arrive here as a director of Team Why Not and, and all the things that you've been able to do. So let's talk about your college experience attending Howard University. Being a California kid playing basketball, I never imagined that I would go to Howard University, HBCU, you know, the, one of the greatest institutions in, in the country as far as academically and the experience that I received. You only tend to limit yourself into the box of basketball. So, you know, of course, growing up, you wanted to go to UCLA or USC or want to go to maybe even, you know, Pepperdine or LMU. But, um, some some circumstances came about and some people came about that were friends with my family and and, and uh, Howard came up and it was, you know, at that point I was a little bit more mature. I was in junior college and I realized like maybe I wasn't going to go to the NBA <laughs> like all of us didn't think that that's the, the goal for us. So I was like, you're not going to go to the NBA. You know, you, you, you may have a chance to play overseas, which you may or may not why not do something a little different and out of the box and, and how it presented itself. And it was a, it was a great experience just to really enjoy your college life and to, to be part of a, like a whole nother experience. So I, I wouldn't change it for anything. Well, what's that experience like, you know, changing coast and, and having to adjust. Changing coast was different. I had never been away from home that long. So wanted to make sure uh, DC was great. I enjoyed DC like thoroughly. It was uh it's a different place than what California is. It's more, um, it's a little bit more busy than certain places in California. It was more condensed. Uh, the, the culture in DC with all the museums and all of the, just, it was just a total difference. And it was right what I needed in order to mature. So I enjoyed my experience moving to the East Coast and being in DC and still in contact with certain people that, that were there to this day. Can you just share a little bit? I mean, obviously, I played at Mount St. Mary's, and when Howard Homecoming was arriving, everyone was talking about going down to Howard to to experience Homecoming. You had a chance to experience it yourself. Just share a little bit about your experiences going through Homecoming. Well, that was part of my my deal with Coach Solomon at the time was I would I would go. Um, I, I told him I, I'd come on a visit, but I only wanted to come during Howard Homecoming. So I took my visit during Homecoming because I heard so much about it having friends that went to uh, HBCUs in Atlanta, they would drive up and you'd hear about it in, in rap songs. And so that was part of the deal. Like I'll come on visit, but only if I come during homecoming. And it was life-changing, you know, it was, uh, it's good. We don't always get a chance to see a, a lot of African-Americans in one place. And then you don't get a chance to see a lot of progressive African-Americans in one place. Sometimes when you come from bigger cities that are in urban places, 
but just to be able to see uh, that level of progressive progressivism amongst the like just in amongst that group of people like it was it was amazing i i definitely enjoyed it and it was what tipped me to go i wanted to be a part of of that and enjoy i enjoyed the culture i enjoyed the people and i just wanted to be a part of it yeah that's an excellent point you have there obviously coming from los angeles and then coming to washington dc um two cultures that are that you know the african-american community is very prevalent in and has a, a huge voice and a huge presence in the culture of it so i can imagine that experience being 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 pretty unique. Um, any any chance you remember who was performing at, at that homecoming when you were oh, there? It was pretty. It was off the chain. It was uh, who was performing? I want to say uh, Outkast performed. I want to say Dog Pound performed, and Nas performed. I know those three for sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's such an incredible event. Um, you know your HBCU experience as a as a player. Talk a little bit about that, and what do you share with your players now? as they're starting to, to, to kind of see all forms of basketball. HBCU experience is different because it's two seasons. You know, you, you don't understand it as a player when you're going through it. And, and then when you get into it, you're like, oh, this is different. So it's the money season at the beginning where you play all the money games and they use those games to recruit you. So we played, um, <laughs> we played Michigan State. They won the national championship with Mateen Cleaves. We played um, play North Carolina. They were a Final Four team with Jason Capel and um, Brendan Haywood. We played DePaul with Quentin Richardson uh, and Bobby Simmons. We played LSU with Stro Miles Swift. We played who else did we play? Played Tulane. Uh, we played Georgetown at the MCI Center. So we played. I, I'm missing somebody else. That's just obvious right now. But we played like a, a, a crazy schedule and uh, you go into those games with a different mindset. And then we went to conference play, which is like uh, HBCUs are just like hot. Like they're they're like um, rivalry games in high school. Like every game is heated. Every game is where the bands are playing and it's it's a uh, it's high level just experience, you know. If you're a young man who has his head on straight and you just trying to trying to see what it what it's gonna be, there's no other experience like it. You know, it's uh it was fun and it was exciting and like I said, I wouldn't trade it. Yeah, it's it, you know, it's always I think it's hard for people to realize like kind of having that two season mindset and like how to be able to bounce back from it. But you know, I think the experience you get when you play those those high level games is I mean, those are the games we all remember the most. And then right. you know, the, the key conference games. Um, you know, especially as a player going through that and testing yourself against the very best. Mm -hmm. uh, Stromile Swift, I mean, I'm sure our audience knows just what an incredible athlete he was and, and those guys you played against Carolina. Um, what do you remember most from that series, as from, the, from those games as a player? Just how um, how physically dominant those guys were. Like, you, you realize that we all play basketball, but then there are certain guys that are freaks of nature. Either they're, like, really – really big and, and large <clears throat> or they're really athletic and they don't look like normal people. So just, we went on a, a Christmas trip where we played LSU, Tulane, North Carolina, and it was game after game after game. It was just guys were really physically talented, you know, like skill wise, you know, you as a basketball player, you could work on your skill and, and try to make up the difference. But it, a lot of times the, the athletic ability and the size of, of the athletes, 
makes the biggest difference. And just kind of remember like, wow, there's a reason why <laughs> certain guys play here and a reason why certain guys play there. And, it, and being mature enough to say that doesn't take away from who I am. I'm going to just keep working to become the best player I could be. But it's a reason why those guys are, are at those big places. Yeah. How much of a, you know, right now with the one and dones and guys leaving so early and guys moving around, how much do you think that contributes to programs like Davidson and Belmont and being able to have success with three or four of your guys? I always think that, uh, and, and I learned that as a coach, that uh, the older teams are the teams that win in college basketball. So the bigger, if you're playing at 22, 23 years old, you're able to combat some of the other things. You've come into your manhood, you're a different person and player than, you know, even a athletically superior 19 year old. So you have a team full of those guys and guys understand what they're doing. They have a really good chance to win. So those that's why those teams are able to constantly be successful. Teams that stay old, teams that are good that way. Uh, San Diego State is always like that out here on the West Coast. St. Mary's is like that here on the West Coast. Just older teams that take advantage of, of being physically strong and, and, and experienced. Yeah, how much of that being older would you contribute to just knowing, like knowing your nose and knowing, you know, you talked about blocking out the noise. How much of that would you contribute to that kind of experience? Uh, I just think getting older and, and being an older player, you, you have a, you're more mature and you know your limitations and you're able to kind of play within a team framework where, you know, you don't have necessarily the same distractions that, that the one and done players have and having to get things right on the front end, you know, you're playing more for the team instead of for yourself. Uh, I think it makes a big difference. Yeah. You know, we talk about limitations. You go from, from, you graduate from Howard, you come over and join us at Mountain State Mary's as our first graduate assistant. Um, you know, I got a chance firsthand to watch your level of coaching. You know, I guess that's probably your real first coaching opportunity. And you're able to take a guy like me from five points a game to give me up to like, I think 12 a game in conference play and just how you're able to work and connect with us. So obviously we've always really followed your journey well. And, you know, talk about your time at Mount St. Mary's, working for for a legendary coach and Jim Phelan kind of at the end there, and then work for two really, really strong assistant coaches. That time was a blur. Like it it, it was a lot of things that, that stand out, and it's a lot of things that I don't necessarily remember. I can remember uh, working for Coach Phelan and, and just remembering how someone that successful could be just successful in being simple. like. Practice was simple, shot a lot, practice was short. He was all about letting, he was a player's coach if there ever was a player's coach. He, he was going to rely heavily on how good the players were, put the onus on them. Like we, like you said, the two assistant coaches, uh, Coach Sawney, Coach Kirk Sawney and Coach Don Anderson, both rest in peace. Uh, great guys, they were really strong. They both had, you know, they, they ran the program on a bunch of different levels. And uh, I was just glad to be there. I had a lot of energy because I, I was ready to coach. And, and like you said, being close in age was helpful. And I used that to connect with you guys and, and, and get out there and, and help push some things over. My dad's a coach, so I, my dad was coach for 40 years. So I always kind of had a mind for the game and always could kind of see how things would go. So when it was my turn to go, it was that, that was like the transition, like the bridge between playing and coaching. It was times where I could get out there and play. It was times where I knew things that guys needed to work on. And uh, it was it was a good time for me to be able to kind of develop some philosophies and some methods that would help me to 
go towards being a, a head coach. What do you think the role was? I mean, we had we're really fortunate for for our listeners out there. We both had a chance to interact with Coach Don Anderson and Coach Kirk Sawney as assistant coaches, and Jack McClatchy, who who um, who was a great assistant coach as well. We we really had a good group of assistant coaches. And what was interesting, Reggie, is like both these guys, all these guys were were much older than us. Mm-hmm. but somehow had an amazing impact uh, on you and I and, and the group we were able to, what do you think it was about, you know, let's just talk about coach Anderson first and then we'll talk about coach, coach Sonny. What do you think it was about coach Anderson? I think you can, I think you can kind of lump them into the same group. I think they, they just genuinely care about people like uh, coach Anderson, you know, took me in to his home and I lived with him the whole time I was at Mount St. Mary's and he, he didn't even really know me and he, took me in like I was his son uh, and even after I left he he would look out for me and, and call me and all kind of things he provided me with all kind of mentorship and he was just a good guy like and he cared about everybody like that he he was high intensity uh, but he was a, a, a teddy bear at the same time so like he he's one of the best people I ever met and, and uh, coach Sawney he's he has a they, they had an interesting approach. They they're they're two different personalities. They both care genuinely about people. Kosani has a huge personality. Every if you've ever met him, everybody knows who he is and and, and the kind of stories he would tell and his sayings he had and you know he he'd make you feel like a he was he was kind of pitching you and you knew you were being kind of sales pitched, but he, he did that in a genuine way. Uh, he's one of my favorite people as well. Definitely continuing on with the relationship with him far after college because I played for him in college at, uh, at Howard. So me and him been close, and you know, just those guys were they they looked out for people. That 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 was their main thing. They just were invested in in helping young men become better. Yeah, you know, Coach Anderson, um, and, and for people out there that don't that don't know Don Anderson, he was like this big hulking guy super strong you know he'd get on the pad in practice you know it was almost a joke how hard he would hit you and 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 being able to finish with it but you know just a guy that made you earn his respect you know as a player and I remember you know I remember my first two months at practice I mean I feel like the guy hated me you know like he didn't you know he might have thought I was soft he told you how he felt which is always a good thing um, but then as you earn his respect, it's like the biggest crown you can wear inside the program mm-hmm. and to be able to carry that respect from him. You know, I think number one, Reg, I mean, just how hard he worked, you know, I don't remember coming into the office and not seeing him in there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the hardest workers and, and just, and then, and I'll tell you this after, after playing and getting into coaching, there wasn't a bigger connector for me. I mean, he would call, pick up the phone and call people and set things up for me without me knowing. And, you know, he just, like you said, he he's a big hulking guy with a big teddy bear's heart. And uh, uh-huh. he was just outstanding. And then we talk about Coach Sawney. I mean, just, I feel like those guys are like, like fire and ice. Uh-huh. You know, they, they're like perfect together. I mean, I, if I could ever get a staff with two guys like that together, I'd be in a great place because they could really work through a lot of difficult things, uh-huh. um, you know, as a tag team. And they just had a great balance with that. Sure. So you finish up in Mount St. Mary's, and then let's talk us through the the, the next part of your journey and, and get all the way to where we arrive here today. So, uh, when was a grad assistant for one year at Mount St. Mary's, and then I got a call in the springtime. Somebody gave me a tip about a high school job, 
and just found out, you know, I called my dad back home. My dad happened to know the principal. So was coworkers with the principal. They set it up and, and I went through interview process and I got the job as a 23 year old hair coach. Uh, take over that job. I had that Lusinger High School, inner city school, not really known for basketball, but had like a tremendously talented team as a 23 year old coach. Had a form uh, a potential had a future first round pick, and Darrell Wright played on my team, a 13 year veteran. Made it all the way to the sim uh, CIF semifinals my first year. Team that went eight and 18, we went 21 and 10. My first year. Yeah. What do you think about flip? How, how, you know, obviously you had good players, but eight to 18 to 21 wins, that's a pretty good turnaround. What do you think your key was coming in, um, being able to do that? Over the course of my career, I've bought several places and we, we have turnarounds. I think the only thing that you can really credit a turnaround to is accountability. So accountability and trying to develop some type of trust, uh, between you and the kids. So, you know, just just guys knowing that you're going to make them play hard. You're going to make them play together. Uh, it turns into being a, a special thing. Yeah, I can attest to you being able to do that in your own way. Like you're, you're you have an incredible way to be hard on someone, but then stay in that gray area where they still want to they really want to perform for you. So you guys I, go. Uh, go ahead. I think, I think it comes from if, if I had to guess uh, when people can see results. Sometimes they don't necessarily, it's like going to the trainer you don't like, like, you know, you're trying to lose some weight or you're trying to get the physical results you want. And you don't really like the trainer and the methods they put you through. But when you look in the mirror, you're able to say this is what I came for. So I think sometimes as I've gotten older, I think when I was younger, I probably was able to uh, connect stronger with the kids as far as be right there and with things that, that are relative to them. But as I've gotten older, I think, kids see that they want to win. They want to have results. And I think that we've been able to stay pretty close to that. And I think guys buy in, you know, so you, you get your first interaction with a guy named, a guy named Russell Westbrook. When did you start to realize that he could be one of the most dominant players on your team, first of all, and then a dominant player in college basketball? Difficult to say he, he was never the builder that he didn't have the physicality. he was like a, a younger kid. He just, he fell down a lot. He, he wasn't very big or strong, but what he did have, he had a heart as big as all outside. And we always kind of knew when he grew into his body, he'd be really difficult to, to play against. And he he was ready to compete against everybody. And he was just like a high level competitor. Like he he would try any and everybody. And uh, with that being said, he once he grew into his body, he, he was able to finally catch up and he exceeded all expectations. Yeah, I remember talking to you during that time, and when he was kind of emerging through the through the summer, and you're like, "I think I've got a kid here. It's going to be pretty good." And I remember, I remember writing the name. Down. I was like, "Who is it?" You're like Russell Westbrook. And I was like, "Oh wow!" And I remember having that. I was at Bucknell at the time. I remember writing that name down, and uh, and we had just signed a guard. I want to say it was Daryl Shazer at at Bucknell, and I remember taking it in because Russell was a great student, right? Yeah. Yeah. A great student, high high level student. I remember taking that name and they're like, we should check this guy out. And they're like, well, we already got a guy committed. <laughs> and so, you know, you're part of the reason now that anytime even we have a guy committed, I get that call from somebody, I go, we should at least watch. <laughs> we should at least exactly. take a look. Um, exactly. Russell obviously became became really special. So you do a do a great job of losing or Russell kind of grows into his own. Um, what happens at the end of losing her? So eight years of losing her. Uh in the last two years, we 
lost in the CIF final, and last year we won in the CIF final. Uh, so the culminating in the last year, my last year, I got laid off as a teacher. There was 40, it was budget cuts, and it was 40 teachers lost their jobs, and I was one of them. Kind of bittersweet in. We win a CIF championship with knowledge, and I have the knowledge of knowing I won't be back the, the following year. So um, still call it home, but like I said, just real bittersweet about how it, was, how it ended. But, you know, still still able to – I have some of my uh, best friendships from, from losing or from players to uh, the coaches that I coach with and, and some of the teachers and staff. So we move on from Luzinger and, and we head to went to St. Bernard's High School for two years after that. So St. Bernard's High School, right across the street from where I went to high school at Westchester High. So it was St. Bernard's. We we had uh, two really good years. First year took over a team that won four games the year before. They were four in like twenty-four. And we flipped it and I think we won about twenty-two games, twenty-three games, and we went all the way and lost in a state championship game. So lost in the state championship from from in the first year, and then the second year we won a CIF title, uh, a sectional title, and uh, had some pretty good players, some guys that went on, and from there just kind of capped it out. <clears throat> I just got engaged at the time, and at the Catholic schools here, you don't make a ton of money. I had like six job titles. <laughs> I was barely making about fifty-five thousand dollars a year, and anybody who's been engaged or married knows that, you know. The ladies kind of pushed things, and when, when another job came open, she 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 pushed for me to take it just for the, the money situation. So I went to Redondo Union High School. Last Call with Jamie and Christian is powered by Speakeasy for Sports, the first exclusive platform for sports professionals by sports professionals. We connect you directly with top performers in the industry and allow you to build the relationships that will help grow your career. Think of it as the Final Four NBA Summer League, or any other sports convention, all now from your laptop and phone 24-7-365. Careers grow through relationships, and relationships grow through Speakeasy. Join the Speakeasy family today at speakeasyforsports.com. You get to Renara Union, and now you have a little bit of a reputation. You know, you've turned around two programs. You obviously have a little bit of a legacy with your with your father there in California. What are the kind of the challenges when you arrive there, and, and you're probably the first time dealing with a level of expectation of performance when you arrived there? Uh, first year, Redondo took over for a coach that had been let go, had issues with coaches and parents, and kids just weren't real trusting. They won 11 games. Uh, first year, we were able – we had to win their trust first, so we were like six and seven maybe going into league. We we, we were having trouble kind of sputtering along, and then we went on a 21-game win streak and won a state championship our first year. Do you remember the one or two things that happened to kind of – push you into that 21 game win streak? Uh, we we were six and seven and when we were finished, it was the time of the year between tournaments and league play. And we played one non-league game and we had like a week to play it. It was against uh, Bishop Montgomery, who's like literally five minutes away from Redondo Union. And at the time, Bishop Montgomery was ranked top five in the country. The year before they lost by 50 to Bishop. So some of the kids were kind of, they weren't confident. We had a whole we, we broke down where we were. I can remember my dad and I sitting in a room for about maybe six hours. We watched some games and uh, we realized we, we decided to, to change what we were doing. So at that point in my, my coaching career, I'd only really played one particular way. 
And uh, we, we kind of looked at it and he kind of said, these guys can't play the way you want to play. Like what changes do you want to make? We made things real simple. We slowed things down. We went into Bishop Montgomery and we lost by two, like in, on the last possession. And after the game, you know, the kids who had lost by 50 the year before going through the line, shaking hands, the, the other team kind of, they got a little nervous they were going to lose. And then when they realized they were going to win, when you're shaking hands, they, they made some comments. A couple of the kids who've been there the year before didn't like those comments. And like, uh, uh, I wouldn't say it was like a, a big shoving match broke out. And it was like, it could have got real ugly. And we, we got everybody separated, but the kids were tired of getting picked on. And they realized that they were real close. And they realized if they did things the way we asked them to do it, they'd have success. And from that shoving match where they all stood up for one another and they all fought for each other, literally. Uh, it changed the whole, it whole, it changed the whole season. We won 21 in a row after that. Yeah. And, and then you're kind of on your way and, and guys kind of understand what needs to be taken. And you talk about, you know, making that change. How hard was it for you to change how you were playing? You know, had so much success up until that point. I mean, that's 10 years yeah. of success up to that point. Uh, what was it about that you needed to change and, and, and how hard was it to change? used a lot of motion offense the, the years previous. Uh, we had guys on our team that didn't, that, that shouldn't probably play with as much freedom as we were giving them. They had a really good point guard and a really good shooter. And we had three guys that were role players. And we just, we, we kept it super simple. We ran one ball screen at the top and that was it. He made plays for everybody. And uh, we were, I was used to coaching real athletic teams. And that wasn't the case. We didn't do really well at finishing in transition. So we would get rebounds and we would hold it. Or we would, we still pressed a little bit, but when we get still, we'd hold it. It was, it was no, so it was, when I say hold it, we didn't look to attack and, and get fast break baskets. We took the possession and we just ran down and made sure we got a good shot every time. So it was good for me to see that you can win different ways, uh, to be able to adapt and it's not about playing your style. It's about playing the style that your team needs to play in order to win a game, particularly in high school basketball, where you aren't able always to um, go get the pieces that you want. You have to change from year to year. One team may play one way, then you may get a whole group of kids that don't play like that. So in college, you can recruit towards style of play. In high school, you you can't. So you, you have to be where you're able to adapt and and be flexible so that you can stay relevant and, and continue to try to be a, a winning coach or a winning team. You mentioned your dad a ton so far. And before we get on, continue with your journey, just talk about your, 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 your influence from your father, uh, again, legendary Juco coach in, in California and, and a guy I know you revere. Just talk a little bit about the influence you have in your father and having a guy like that you can sit down with. You know, my dad, um, my dad and I are the only father and son combination in California history to win state championship. So just kind of following in his footsteps and always trying to live up to how good of a coach he was. So he, he won state championship in high school, state championship in JUCO. Um, he, he has a lot of accolades and a lot of respect. And I think that kind of drove me to where people would, I wanted my own respect to where people gave me my own uh, acclaim for the the accomplishments that I was able to, to claim. So um always that that was like a fuel that burns in me and it still burns in me to try to be a better coach than my dad and thing that I have that he didn't have is I have him to give me some some advice and he's a sounding board he uh 
We've never actually been on the same staff. He, even though he comes to practice, he doesn't sit on the bench during games. He sits in the bleachers. But uh, we work well together. We've, we've kind of figured it out. Uh, there's been times where it's been interesting where we, he's, the only, he's only been a head coach, so it's hard for him to kind of adapt. And uh, we both have to adapt around each other. But the, the information that I get from him is priceless. And, uh, you know, I, I, I cherish it just to be able to spend moments with him as my dad. You know, it's a, it's a great situation. Yeah. What's what's the best advice your your father has ever given you? Um, I would say I wouldn't necessarily call it advice, but just principles, you know, principles of um, you got to you got to hold guys accountable. You got to you got to make sure that you have guys on your team that are all kind of bought in uh, defense wins. Um, what else would I say? Other principles, just teamwork and just not really allowing my dad is big on no, no prima donnas. So we, we always kind of hold the best player accountable as well as the, the, the least talented player accountable, try to keep them on the same accord. Those are things that I've learned from my dad along. But I know you, you've always had this college itch. And, you know, talk about a couple of the stints you've had in college and why you decided to make that jump to, to those different colleges. Um, you know, because you've always had that itch and, and you're a great coach. So, I mean, you can coach at any level. Uh, I, I did four years at Redondo Union. And, and after coaching, at that point, I had been a high school coach for 14 years. And just like any kid, you know, and I started at a young age. So starting at a young age, I felt like it's time to grow and, and move to college. I always wanted to coach in college. So I got an opportunity to coach at Loyola Marymount for Mike Dunlap. And I'm super appreciative of him giving me a chance. And I got to stay local. And I went through that experience. And I enjoyed it. And I met some great people. I found it a little difficult at times to uh, to not be in control of my time. That That's the biggest thing is not being in control of your time. It's uh, not necessarily the calling offenses and defenses during games or conducting practice. It's just the being in control of your time. And it was difficult after coaching for 14 years and being able to call shots on your time, somebody telling you where to be and when to be there. And it was just, it took a little bit to get used to. And then Russell called me and said he wanted to start up this EYBL program, Team Why Not? And he would only do it if I did it. And it sounded real intriguing and something that I really wanted to do. So I jumped back in high school. I coached at a high school at Culver City High School for a year. And then I always felt like being a, a AAU director would give me an opportunity to jump in at a different level, like where I could, because I had so much experience at the high school level, you know, I felt like being a, a, a director of a high level program, I'd be able to kind of jump in at a power five level, which is what I wanted to do. But while I was there the first year, I got a call from coach Lorenzo Romar, who's a mentor of mine. He got a job at Pepperdine and it was too much for me to turn down. I really wanted to work for him and be part of that situation. So I worked there, couldn't work for a better guy, learned a lot about basketball. All the guys on staff were great. Um, I, I guess I wasn't ready totally to move out. But what happened was we didn't have everything situated with our, our AAU program. I was getting a lot of calls on just, you know, when you're starting things, you know, sometimes they're not ready for transition. And so we hadn't been around long enough for me to leave and things keep going smoothly. 
I was fielding a lot of conversations, uh, trying to keep things in order. And uh, I ended up going back to get things settled, which, you know, I want to make sure that this program lasts a long time. It's, it has the ability to help a lot of kids and a lot of coaches. And, you know, Russell trusts us to, to, to get things moving and going. And I don't want to just see it crash. Not that the people involved weren't good people, but we didn't have our base under us yet. It was still too new of a program. You know, we've been blessed with a, a really good situation and I don't want to just throw it away. I thought that it could it could help other people. So I felt like I needed to go back so that I could kind of help set the groundwork for it so that it could help all the people that it's set up to help. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that doesn't get enough play in our media today is is the impact these NBA players have had on their communities and yeah. how important it is. If you don't mind sharing just some of the conversation of just why your program is so important to to Russ and and you know why he thinks it's so important to be prevalent in the community. Russ, when Russ is I do a program, he he wanted it to be he he sees a lot of the stuff that goes on with with the AAU kids and Russ didn't play AAU. He played for me. Like I he played a couple of times with different programs. Um, but for the most part he played for me and he said I I want kids to have the same experience that I had with you with just somebody who's going to look out for their best interest. And um, Russ does several things around the community that kind of helps, that, that definitely helps our community. He refurbished the YMCA, new basketball courts and different programs that we're running out of there, his, his foundation. And just he, Russ's program is for kids that, we started off with the premise that it would be for kids that were like him. Kids that just didn't get the exposure necessary to be seen, but they were good players and that, they, um, they they would be the guys with the chips on their shoulder. So we've had some really, really talented players. So I'm not sure that we were following all in that mold anymore. But we, we this new crop of guys we have are hungry and they, they're playing to make a name for themselves. And they have a lot of uh, Russell in them when it comes to just playing the game. But I think basically it's, it, he wants it to be, you know, grassroots basketball is a necessary evil. Uh, good people involved in it, but just sometimes with the lack of um, governing, it can get a little ugly. So just having different people in the space that that push different things. You know, some people are going to push um, promotion. Some people are going to push development. Some people are going to try to do both. And then some people are just going to push mentorship and trying to help. So us trying to fit into the space and, and just give total mentorship and and we call it college prep program. Like, you know, you're learning how to play with, th this is what it's gonna be like in college. It's, it's eight really, it's eight to 10 of you guys and you're really good. How do you fit in? Like, what do you do to play? Like you aren't on your high school team. It's gonna be different. We're gonna travel. How do, how do we look when we travel? How do we conduct ourselves? You know, so making it more of a college prep program where guys have a better idea of what they're coming into as they go forth. Are we helping guys get scholarships? A few of them, but a lot of the guys we have are going to get scholarships no matter if they play with us or not. They're just that good. But showing them that, you know, just providing another level of uh, professionalism as we go. And Russell comes around and helps with that. And the guys have um, a fairly decent relationship with Russ where he's around. He's giving them tips and he's he's talking to them and, and they have that relationship to stand on. Yeah, I just love how this generation NBA player has really just made their imprint on their communities. 
I think it's really, I think it's like understated. Um, you know, I think we kind of talked about prima donnas uh, a little bit earlier, but you know, what they've been able to do in their communities has been just so unique and so special and really life-changing, you know, from guys starting their own schools to, to all kinds of different things we have going on now with this generation of player. Um, it's really great to see. And, you know, great to see at the AAU events and the guys come out and support the kids and they're rooting for them. And you can tell that they're not just writing the check, that the kids know who they are and they have a reverence for them. Um, you know, it's got to be pretty cool to be part of that conduit for for the for the young grassroots players and guys like Russ and other NBA players. For sure. Well, Reggie, I appreciate your time so much here. You know, we do one last thing here. You've got two chairs beside you. You got to pick one retired person and one person who's still working. Who's sitting beside you when its last call comes down? It would be Coach Salney, uh, for sure, and then alive Kevin Ali, Lorenzo Romar. I. I look at both of them as, as mentors and they're guys who've looked out for me. So as much as I love Kay, I'm going to go with Coach Romar. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I appreciate you stepping on with us. I appreciate the impact you have on your community and in your team. It's been a joy as a person who had a chance to play for you and to work alongside you to watch all the things you've been able to do through the time. And, and uh, you know, everyone here at Speakeasy for sport is always rooting for you for you, Reggie. And uh, if there's anything I can do for you ever, don't, don't hesitate to give a yell. Again, we're thankful for having you on broadcast today and uh, we will chat soon. I appreciate you for having me on and, and good luck with all your endeavors going forward. And I appreciate this. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to connecting with you soon.